All right, welcome everybody to the Stop Decorating the Fish podcast. I'm your host, Randy Cox, and I'm here with Kristen Cox. And we have an exciting topic today. This is on one of the Seductive 7 uh, more data, which just is an extremely popular topic when Chris speaks about this and and live audiences. Before we get going on that, Chris, just for 30 seconds, would you mind talking about in our upcoming Fulcrum Summit, which is a live event that we're holding here in late September here in Lehigh, Utah. Can you just talk about the end of day one what we're, we're structuring that day so that there's some one-on-one time with you and some of your team. Yeah, we're setting aside two hours uh, so that people actually have time to apply what they've been learning and I'll be available, some other members of my team, to help answer questions or to work through any challenges uh, participants are having and figuring out how to really apply the concepts. We want people to leave with very practical things they can go back to work and apply. All right, wonderful. So I hope you can join us. You can learn more information about that at www.fulcrumsummit.com. And this is a once a year event where we open it up to the public. Most of the time we're doing this with in private events. So I hope you can join us. Check that out. So let's get started with today's topic. Chris, this is uh, more data comes up a lot and it's almost like it's become a bigger and bigger issue because getting more data, gathering more data uh, is easier and easier and cheaper and cheaper as time goes on. Yeah, data today is almost a commodity and I I hate to downplay it that way because again, it can be incredibly powerful, but we have to remember data are just words and numbers. That's all all data is. They're just lists of words and facts and by themselves, they provide no real insight. And yet I see organizations more and more being driven by data-driven decision-making and data lakes and data sharing and data dashboards and big data and little data and uh, data reports. And our organizations are drowning in data without real insight. And I think it's becoming more and more pervasive as accessing data and collecting data becomes easier and easier. So the question is in this sea of data how do we sift through it? How do, how do we know what data matters and what data we should ignore? Especially if you're a non-technical, let's say you're a subject matter expert in your field, but you, you, know, you didn't study data analysis or whatever. So you hear, you read the HBR articles about data-driven decisions. And, and so you feel like you need to have that in your organization, but you don't necessarily have any kind of mastery of that. So you're relying on technical teams to, to do that. So, why don't we why don't we take a step back and say what is the difference between like facts and information right so again you know data are words and numbers and they should exist to help us make decisions right the reason why we get data is because we're trying to answer a question either what should we do differently are we achieving our goal or not what do we need to fix what's broken where do we need to fix it it should be helping us answer very specific questions Um, not just lots of information that describes the situation in more and more detail. I remember taking over an an agency uh, many years ago and sitting through the first presentation of all the data dashboards the organization had. And they were really good people. They were excited and it was an hour long presentation, slide after slide after slide of data and data data. But none of those data told me as a leader of the organization Are we hitting our target or not? And if we aren't, why not? And what do we need to change? And those are pretty simple questions, but the data, all the data we had couldn't answer those. 
Uh, I saw that when you know, running the governor's office management budget when I took it on the first time we um, they were using the balanced scorecard at the time and we had over 600 measures we are getting through the governor's office so all the agencies pushing up all of their individual data across all their balanced scorecards no insight no idea of where to even start so when we understand that data exists not for the sake of existing but to help us answer questions and make good decisions that by itself is a good first step and you would find that or you would think that if you had over 600 measures if it was just a lack of information problem that it would have just emerged there but yeah you found like okay let's say we went to 800 measures or 900 whatever that wasn't the issue yeah what what i find is that um well let me tell you a story that i love you know I love science and Einstein's big breakthrough, the special and general theories of relativity, didn't come from observing data. In fact, he, he first asked a really interesting question. What would it be like if you were traveling on a beam of light, traveling at the speed of light and you were on it? What, what would that look like? What would that experience be like? And that question, that wonder he had, led him to think and then to hypothesize. Then he created an hypothesis, and then he could use data to either validate or refute his hypothesis. He thought first, he wondered, he asked really important questions, and then he could use data then to validate or, or, or say, no, it's wrong, refute it. And that's the basis of the scientific, scientific method, right? Is to first ask. Our biggest breakthroughs in science are by people asking really important and interesting questions. So one of the mistakes we make is that we think that somehow the answer will reveal itself in the data, where in reality, we need to first have an hypothesis, an interesting observation that we want to validate or understand. And then that helps us by, by its design, start narrowing the kind of data we need, right? We don't need all the data. What data do we need to help answer this specific question or hypothesis? Yeah, that's a good insight. I, I just listened to a uh, podcast episode with uh, Sam Harrison and Mark Andreessen, who's the founder of Mosaic, which was the first browser, which became Netflix or Netscape. And uh, just a legendary career that, that Mark has had. But he talked about engineers falling, what he called falling in love with the problem. He said this is a known problem in engineering circles. And he would get 12 or 14 page reports that were accurately describing mm-hmm. the problem they were having in more and more detail. But there was nowhere in the report that it say, what should we do about it? Mm-hmm. And, and as if the more we can understand the problem, the more likely it is that we can solve this thing. Yeah, and we, and we do this, we'll see this. Um, it's one of the indicators we have in our second book about overanalysis. This belief that the more detailed data I can get, the more handle I can have on the situation. I'll see this um, in planning, right? There's lots of efforts in uh, city planning, planning efforts around around the country that are important, right? And they'll start doing what we call micro data and trying to like predict out in specific cities or neighborhoods what the forecast is going to look like for demographics and changes and. It's like trying to measure every tree in the forest, but you can't see your way through the forest, right? So the, the first question is, in fact, one of the tenets of TOC is this idea that things are inherently simple, that complexity doesn't exist. And when we create all this detailed forecasting, we actually make things much more complex. Now, the truth of that is, is you cannot forecast the future, and that's another trap. The first trap is, hey, the answer will reveal themselves in the data, Instead, we need a good hypothesis. The second one is that, you know, I can use data to forecast the future. 
um, and overanalyze everything and somehow, again, I'll have the answer. Well, or here's, here's one thing we know is you cannot impose certainty on uncertainty. It's one of the principles of theory of constraints. And when we take what we already know and push it into the future, all we're doing is forcing the future to look like with with to to appear as what we're doing when we take all this data to forecast the future. The assumption is that what the future will look like matches what today's reality is, and that's just not true. That's the whole point. Nobody predicted COVID, for example. The things that have the biggest impacts in our organizations are things we can't predict. If we could predict them, we could mitigate them. Um, you know, you know about the black swan book. It's the black swan, the unknown, the thing we can't predict that's going to actually make or break us. Instead of trying to forecast, and you know, you get good enough with your forecast. We did this with revenue estimates about what do we think the revenue is going to be. But after that, it's all about execution, or what I um, love the term backcasting. The CEO of Mazda used that at one of our conferences. Instead of trying to forecast the future with all your data. Start with where you want to be and go back from there. What do you need to do for that to happen? I'll see this in the world of economics. Lots of data on economics. What, what's the economy going to look like? You know, recession, not a recession, mortgage, interest rates, job losses, et cetera. And we're always trying to predict. Um, two, one, one problem with that is that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy to some degree um, with customer confidence, consumer confidence, et cetera. But the other piece of that is instead of just trying to forecast the future, I would be more interested in how do I create the future I want? So how do I create an anti-fragile economy that's diversified enough to withstand the ups and downs of recessions? That's the more interesting space I think to be in versus just how granular our forecast can be, which by the way, will always be wrong. The question is how wrong will they be? And I think I think the example, I, was thinking, I think it's the fourth example in your book, in the second book, The World of Decorating the Fish, in the over-analysis indicator. Mm -hmm. And it talks about how complex it is for uh, trying to predict the patient flow through a mm. hospital. Yeah, so this, this is uh, the over-analysis trap we get into. Right. So there's the forecasting over trap, the hypothesis trap, and then the over-analysis trap. And the over-analysis trap is, you know, again, if I can get, if I can measure every component of something, somehow there's the gestalt. If I can measure everything that I'll have the answer to the whole system. And so in this example, this is a real case study, a hospital was seeing spikes in, in work and patients getting stuck in the queue, et cetera. So they were trying to plan out and predict and forecast and actually overanalyze every potential route a patient could be routed. But that didn't work. And we've seen hospitals spend t lots of time and energy on this, over analyzing every potential route a patient could take. Instead, when they understood it's not a planning problem or an analysis problem, but it's an operational problem, what's blocking patients from flowing in the hospital? What's the constraint or what's constraining the flow of, of patients through the hospital? They found that it was actually in the labs. Uh, patients were moving through the system, but they were all getting stuck. There's this big bottleneck at the labs where patients were getting stuck or slowing down the whole flow. When they could fix that, they could unleash the system and the patient flow. So, you know, we want certainty. We want comfort. We want to know that we can handle what's coming ahead of us. And 
The reality is there is no such thing of knowing everything. A lot of it's just in the muck and grind of operations, the day-to-day management of it. But when the hospital leadership changed from over-analysis and forecasting and over-planning and moved into execution, they could see where the real constraint was and really freed up the flow in the system. But even if you could, like it's it's an illusion that you can, but even if you could predict accurately, it still comes down to how responsive are your operations, right? And, And so at the end of the day, that's, you're like, let's say you, you could actually predict out for four hours how many patients were going to hit Dr. X, mm-hmm. right? So, but you still have to have a responsive, flexible, uh, you know, oh, that's a good point, operation yeah. that will allow you to, because it's moment by moment, everything's changing. Yeah, and Murphy's Law will hit. You could have a right. perfect model that really is pretty reliable on predicting patient flow in for four hours, but a patient comes in with symptoms that are much more extreme and... Uh, significant than the models allow for. And now what do you do? Now, if you don't have an operation that knows how to handle spikes um, and knows how to schedule out resources to manage those spikes, inevitable spikes, and when Murphy loss hit, all good planning goes out the window. We'll see this in budgeting too. Um, we want to get our head around it. So we take a lot of data in our budgets and we break it down into smaller. We want to know, we want data and exactly how much did we spend on water bottles and how much did we spend on in-state travel and exactly how much did we spend on out-of-state travel and exactly how much did we spend on X, Y, Z and the list goes on and on and you can take a budget and break it into 1,500 line items and then another 2,000 unit level, object level and it just goes on and on assuming the more data we have, the more accountable we are. And actually I think we missed the point because the point isn't how much data collection can we have. And this really, this is a whole other podcast, stems from a shift in cost accounting um, in the last century, which I think did a disservice in, in on many fronts. But the reality is, is we've got a, the ultimate goal from the taxpayer of the customer is did they get the service they needed when they needed it as quickly as they could? And what was the total cost for that service? And when we get into this over analysis mode, we start measuring every tree. Again, like I said, but we can't see the forest through the tree. So all of these budgets can tell us really exact precision on where we spent, but it, they cannot tell us the causes of cost, where are people getting stuck, why are people getting stuck, why aren't getting they getting the quality services? And by the way, those are the drivers of costs. Poor quality, things taking too long, people getting stuck in the system, not getting need, getting what they need when they need it. Those are the things that drive the cost, right? You can't see that in the budget. And yet we believe that more data in the budget, more numbers will somehow help us see something that literally you, you can't pick up on that. So again, it goes back to what are the important questions I need to answer? And then lining up the data and the tools to answer those questions. Unfortunately, too often, I think we let the data and the tools drive how we think. We have it backwards. The questions should drive the data, not the data drive what we can actually see and what we pay attention to. What you're saying is that the the more data elements you have, the more granular you can make it, it does, there's not like a corresponding increase in anti-fragility. Yeah, there's not a core. The more data you have does not... Uh, correlate to an increase in performance. And sometimes I think it can distract from it. And I think the other trap we get into is um, this this idea of describing the problem in more and more detail, right? So we'll collect a lot of data just to, to talk about the problem. 
So it could be a state has a workforce problem. They have a lot of you know people leaving the state to work in other places, and they can just use tons of data to describe the problem. How many people a year are leaving? What the demographic of these people are? Um, survey the people. I mean, you can just data analyze this to death. But the more interesting question is, well, why are they leaving? What policy or practice or operational issue or issue with the employers in terms of pay or, or um, salary equity across the country? We don't need tons of data about that. We can ask just the right question and then go get data to help us again understand what that what the answer is. I think I've I mean I've seen examples of this where a leader knows there's a problem, goes and asks the data and analytics team to just go gather as much information as their data as they yeah. can, bring it back and then say, What did you find? versus and, and they honestly if whatever whatever those group and the data happened, people are great, right? They're super technical, right. super smart people, but they're just doing what they've been told to do. Right. <laughs> and and so the but what you're saying is like it would be a different story for the business leader mm -hmm. to say, "Look, I've I've been here for 15 years. I've I've you know worked my up my way up. My intuition is this. Mm -hmm. I think that we're having this problem because of this, and I need you to t tell me whether that's true or not. I yeah. need you to go find these specific data elements because that would tell me whether that's true or not. Yeah, that's right. a different." Very different. So it's put, yeah, sometimes we put the cart before the horse and it's harder, you know, it's harder to think and really reason and wonder and maybe our thinking's wrong and that's okay. What, what's so powerful about the last couple centuries when we've got this new thing called the scientific method, we can have an hypothesis and maybe we're wrong. The question is how quickly can we fail? Right, have an hypothesis, test it wrong or right, move on quickly. Not just spend 10 years building up a data lake and this big data integrated system and then nothing changes, right? Nothing changes. We've got to learn to think and ask the right questions and maybe that's the wrong question to ask. Great, test it, iterate quickly and move on. And then you'll actually have learned that's not a failure, it's a success. You learned what the problem isn't. But you're not gonna just find it by seeing tons of data and it's very distracting for the organization and it takes a lot of resources. Um, I've worked with groups that have amazing, very super qualified technical data teams, amazing. And I'll go pull their data to understand what's going on in their system and the key questions that I would hope that they could answer doesn't exist, right? So let's take homelessness, for example. Uh, lots of systems across the country, homeless management information systems, collect tons of data on demographics and what kind of housing people are in, you know, rapid rehousing, supported housing, permanent housing what level of care they're in, et cetera. Lots of data on managing wait lists and everything. But what it can't tell you, and this is the thing that matters, is why is somebody in the system stuck? Why aren't they progressing? Where are they? What are the services they need to progress? And why aren't they progressing, right? Yeah. Because the entire system in the world of homelessness or social services or human services, depends on the rate at which an individual can absorb and make change. That's it. All of it is about that one thing. And guess what? Very seldom do I ever see data. Maybe it's buried in an individual case manager's case notes, but you can't manage a system like that. Yeah. So we're missing it. We're, we're starting to measure everything sometimes, but the things that really matter, because again, we're not asking the right questions. And the right questions stem from what does your customer really care about? What do they really, really need? 
right? So your customer pretend, you know, you're running a, a, an agency and you've got to stand in front of all the customers you serve and you're going to show them all your data dashboards. Will they care? What matters to them? In this case with social services, did I get what I needed? If I'm a business and I'm you know, applying for a business permit in a, in a state, for example, I want to know reliably if I put my application in today, reliably, not average, but reliably, will I get this in three days or seven days? When am I going to get it? And from the agency's perspective, I want to know if they're not getting it within the reliable time frame I've sent, why not? Where in the process, what policy or measure is blocking that? Those are simple questions. Very seldom do, they, do the data we have easily answer those. Yeah, I've been in the room when you have, you've been sitting down with a new client and, and before you got in the room, they had spent two weeks with their really sharp, really bright data analytics team answering, you know, pulling a bunch of packets together and, and they have this big report and then you will do that. You'll ask two or three just what to you is just basic questions and there's like deer in the headlights. and and to the you know to defend the data folks it's like well if you would have asked us that yeah the data people are <laughs> we awesome we could have answered that you know yeah. but you never asked us that and so the onus is really on the business leaders need to know what are the right questions and how do yeah. i think about it? do you think the toc thinking tools are a direct like an answer or a help in that way yeah or? yeah i think especially you know when you get into operations and you look at the rules of flow which help you understand how the parts of your system should work together when you put what we call flow measures or process measures on those you can start to see you can start to pull back the curtains and see behind the black box right a lot of time our agencies or organizations feel like a black box stuff goes in we have a lot of data that describes the black box like how many customers are we serving and demographics of the customer but we don't understand what's going on inside the black box when we first when we first understand how things should be working together then we can start saying oh how would i measure if part a and part b are working well together and if they're not and they're starting to break down what kind of signal would i need to know if there's a breakdown there then I can actually put a good measure inside the black box, inside the operations that signals to me if I have a problem and if so, what to do about it, right? So again, it starts with what do I need to know? And that starts with asking the right questions so that I have the right information to make the right decisions. Right. If and you can't can... make a decision off the data you're getting, that's the first sign the data is not helpful. That, and that, that'll be a future episode, but just you have a, you have a, a big bent on how invisible so much of our organizations and our operations and our flow is. And as leaders, we need to make the invisible visible. visible. Right. Yeah. So data's great. I use data, right? It's not, data's great. But again, they're just made up. It's just facts, words, letters, numbers. That's all they are. How do we convert those into information to make good decisions? Okay. So in the, in the, in the vein of, giving managers and leaders uh, some help in knowing what questions to ask. You have a resource. Yeah, it's a, it, you can go over to the Fulcrum we'll be posting and it's 10 questions managers should be asking. Really basic, basic stuff to know if your operations are healthy or not. You know, you go to the doctor, they take your vital signs, right? They check your blood pressure and they look at your heart rate and basic stuff just to say, hey, overall, is this system healthy or not? 
These are questions that managers should be asking. So we'll be posting that on the fulcrum um, as a way to get people starting to think a little differently about how to use measures, especially when it comes to operational oversight. Excellent. So you can get to the fulcrum at uh, www.jointhefulcrum.com or you can go at the top of Chris's website. There's a link for just this community. I think that's a great place to stop for this episode. Um, So if you are not already, I encourage you to follow Kristen on LinkedIn. You can also go to chriscoxresults.com. That is her website where you can get speeches, podcasts, interviews, articles, all kinds of, of, uh, of content from her. And we look forward to uh, being with you again in two weeks. So thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.